Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zo and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This week's message is brought to us by Pastor Tae Huang from Beautiful Church in Evanston. He's preaching from Isaiah 60. There are um, three universal longings in this world that we all need, regardless of your cultures, your backgrounds, your faith. Three things that we absolutely need, which is truth, goodness, and beauty. We're always in a constant pursuit of finding truth. If you don't believe me, just scroll through Netflix to see how many movies and documentaries come out every year to solve that mysterious crime. Who killed who? The UFOs and such and such. People want to know the truth, what really happens behind the scenes. This is why conspiracy theory is getting so much attraction, because people are obsessed with finding the truth, even though the irony is that people insist that truth doesn't exist. Second is goodness. We're always in pursuit of seeking good and moral life. We say stuff like, that person is not a good person. That person should behave that way. That person is not good for you. That food is not good for you. Always talking in the category of goodness. And the last category is beauty. That we're always chasing after beauty. And beauty has to do with what captivates and pleases our imaginations and desires and hearts. Beauty taps into our fundamental desires, what we actually crave the most. So what made you want to wear those clothes this morning? Why those cars? What about your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend that is attractive to you? Why that haircut? Why that movie? Why is that your favorite movie? Your favorite music, your favorite nature scenes? These are all categories of beauty. But out of truth, goodness, beauty, throughout history, beauty seems to have the greatest power over hearts of men and women. Why do you think the cosmic industry alone in 2019 has almost $50 billion revenue in the U.S. alone? That's just in one country in one year. Why do you think that Pornhub was the 10th most visited website in January 2020? That's more than Netflix, Amazon, or Yahoo. Why do we spend billions of dollars in clothes and advertisements and graphic designing every year? And why do you think all the shops in the mall look so attractive and they have clear windows? They're playing beauty tactics. Once they grab your desires and your hearts, they get your wallet. Beauty is what attracts people. This is why most addictions come from something that appears beautiful, even though it may not be true or good for you, because beauty grips our hearts like no other. So, dear Church of the Beloved, I came here to ask this one single question for us this morning, which is this. Have you ever considered God as the most beautiful being in the entire universe? That's the only question that I came here to ask. Have you you ever considered God as the most beautiful being person in the entire universe? And I know that beauty may not be a natural natural category to, to most of us. Some of us think of God as a compassionate, powerful grace, all those great attributes, but not beauty, but has God ever gripped your heart like that of your favorite movie that moves you all the time and then some more? Has God ever moved like that of your favorite music that dusts your soul and then some more? Is God the most desirable, attractive being in your heart, or is it someone else or something else? This is the ultimate question that we're going to have to wrestle this morning. For the rest of our lives, probably we are going to have to wrestle this question 
Is God simply beautiful? And to answer, help us to answer that question, we're going to Isaiah 60 to find out what that is. How do we define beauty from Isaiah 60? And tonight, this morning, I want to preach this morning that God is the most beautiful being in the entire universe that radiates the entire world. And that understanding this beauty of God will unlock our passion for worship, our, our zeal for mission, our pursuit of holiness, our love for fellowship, even sacredness of communion that we take every month. But before I get to Isaiah 16, I want to give some context of the long passage that we just read this morning. This is written by the prophet Isaiah. He's writing to the nation of Israel sometime between 740 B.C. to 690 B.C. And by this time, Isaiah is, is, is being read aloud. This particular chapter is being read aloud. The, the Israelites have just returned to their city from their Babylonian exile, and they, they had retried to rebuild the city. If you recall the history of the Old Testament, Babylon came to Israel, smashed the city, burned their homes, and taken Israelites back to their country as captives. And after 70 years had passed, God brought back to their home country, and they started this rebuilding phase, rebuilding their homes, their walls, and their temple. And in this rebuilding period, Isaiah sees this glorious future, not just for Israel, but for the entire world. That this passage is about a future, that one day there will be a day the Israelites will not have to worry about exiles anymore because they'll be so secured and protected by God in the city. This is a future they have been yearning for since their time in exiles. But this is also the future that we are also yearning for. That there will be a day that all things will be restored back to how God designed this world before Genesis 3. There will be a day that we won't have to worry about a single virus that we can't even see take down the entire world. There will be a day that we won't have to worry about racial divide and political turmoil and all of our hurts and emotional traumas will be healed. And there will be a day you don't have to lock your doors because evil will not enter the city. This is a future that Isaiah is writing in Isaiah 60. So let's read with me in verse 1, and I would ask you to open your Bibles open because we're going to flip through a couple of scriptures back and forth, starting from verse 1. Verse 1 says, Arise, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I want to pause here for a second. I want to talk about this light, this light. Arise, arise, light has come. In fact, this is the same word that God used in Genesis 1. Let there be light, and there was light. This is the same light that God used to create the world. It's the same light that God will radiate the future, the entire city. In fact, this light word is constantly mentioned throughout chapter 60, verse 3, verse 19, verse 20. So we have to understand what this light in order to understand the entire chapter. So for that, Isaiah gives us, actually defines us what that is. So turn with me, verse 19 of the, entire, of the same chapters. Isaiah 60, verse 19. Now Isaiah defined this light. It says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. So Isaiah says that this cannot be natural light, no certain light, no moonlight, nor anything mechanical or artificial light such as light bulbs. But as you go down to say, but the Lord, Yahweh, will be your everlasting light. 
and your God will be your glory. That word glory can also be translated as beauty in Hebrew. Your God will be your beauty. Dear Church of the Beloved, this is where we start when it comes to defining beauty. We start from God. That God is a source of light. If I could use a, some, a technical nerdy term here, is that God is transcendent. That He is set apart. That He's different. He's glorious. He's majestic. There's something about God that we just cannot see face to face If I could use a word here, God is simply too beautiful. God is the source of light that will radiate, illuminate all things. And throughout ancient Christianity, beauty has always understood in the context of God. St. Augustine once said that God is the beauty of all things beautiful. One theologian said that God is a pinnacle of beauty, beauty which all creatures point is God. He is the apex of unchanging beauty. Or David said in Psalm 27, 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. God is beautiful. This is where we start. That all beautiful things that we see here on this earth are borrowed, reflected beauty. Your favorite nature scenes, as glorious they are, they're crying out to God that God is the maker of heavens and earth. That they're pointing to something or someone that is God. My, my beautiful spouse, who finds so much attraction in, she's a borrowed, reflected beauty. She's pointing to something. She's pointing to God himself. All these great minds and artists and architectures and Composers and movie directors have all tapped into the mind of God because God is a source of beauty. He is beautiful. But let me take a little bit further down into the New Testament. In the New Testament, the light is not an object or it's not some unapproachable abstract theory like you're learning about space. And if you're learning about space, I apologize. It's too complicated and too abstract for me. But in the New Testament, light is always defined as a person. So I want you to put your finger in Isaiah 60. You want to come back here. But turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, a true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. It says that light is not described as it, but him. Let me point you to other part of the scripture again. Revelation 21, at the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. And let me give some quick context here. This is the final future city that we're going to experience if you're in Jesus Christ. After all things will be finalized and established, this is a heaven. This is a city that we're going to dwell in. Verse 22, chapter 21, verse 22. It says that I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. What is this light? 
Better yet, who is this light? The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus is a light that will shine onto that future city. That He came as a person, and Jesus is the ultimate beauty of God. He is a true light. He will illuminate all things and all peoples. Brothers and sisters, this is how we understand beauty. As Christians, we understand the beauty of God, not, start, not figuring out that perfect angle or perfect shade or perfect filter, but it starts from a person, and his name is Jesus. This is a standard of beauty which we all measure things, and we look at the life of Jesus, and we know what beautiful life should look like. We look at his holy, perfect life, sinless life, one who did not give in to temptations, but stayed faithful to his Father. We say that that is a beautiful holiness. We look at his compassionate heart, who welcomed all peoples, a friend of sinner, healed hundreds of people without requiring any payment, and we say that is a beautiful compassion. We look at his selfless light, one who gave his own body for us. We imagine his bruised body, his pierced hands and feet. We say that is a beautiful sacrifice. And we look at the empty tomb, which reminds us all of us that we're not dead in our sins, but we are alive in Christ Jesus. And we say that is a beautiful redemption. This is a light that will shine on that future city. And all creatures will worship and marvel at this light. So again, I ask you, Church of the Beloved, is God the most beautiful being in your entire life? Is God simply beautiful to you? Has God ever gripped your heart like no other and no one. Earlier I said that understanding the beauty of God will unlock our passion for worship, our pursuit of holiness, zeal for mission, love for fellowship. Let's take holiness for example. One of my favorite speakers, Jackie O'Perry, she recently wrote a book about holiness, and she said this. She said, holiness is always framed and defined in a negative way, only in ways that we cannot do what we should stop doing. One thing I thought was missing was the beauty of holiness of God, how that's an incentive for my faith. We need more books that show us the beauty of God, and by seeing the beauty of God, we want more of God, and by wanting more of God, we trust God, and by trusting God, we start saying no to other things because we realize that they're not better than God. They don't compete with God because there's nothing that can compete with God, and it is in this dance that I'm now satisfied beauty and by the holiness of God, that I become holy like him too. God is the most beautiful being that has, will ever exist. And for that reason, he is eternally worthy of all of our trust. I love that quote. Because what she's saying, and what I came here to say is this. That once you see that Jesus is better than anything else in this world. Once you are captivated by the beauty of Jesus. Then pornography looks so dull in the face of Jesus. Once you see that, that Jesus is most beautiful being in the entire world, that American dream that promises you comfortable, wealthy, rich life seems so pale in comparison to Jesus. Our political tribes and our political gods look so weak. Once we are so captivated by the beauty of Jesus, suffering looks no longer unbearable. Church seems no longer a dead entity that you can just come and go and skip as you please, but it seems now a living entity, beautiful bride of Jesus Christ. Now we look at the fellowship a little bit differently. 
Now we look at the mission of God to live like Jesus and tell others about Jesus seems better than our own reputations. Beauty of God will unlock our worship, the way we sing, the way we fellowship, the way we carry ourselves. And once again, I quote Jackie. She said that you will not turn away from sin because of the fear of hell. You will turn away from your sin when you see that Jesus is better than everything you have loved in your entire life. Is Jesus better to you? Is he the light? Is he beautiful? God is the most beautiful being in the entire universe. And we look to Jesus to understand what beautiful life should look like. But there's always a problem. Scripture always gives us good news and a problem and then good news again. Verse 2, go back to chapter 60, verse 2, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2 again. Verse 2 says that, Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. In fact, I love the message translation. Message translation says the whole earth is wrapped in darkness and all people sunk in deep darkness. This is a darkness, a metaphorical representation of our spiritual blindness in the presence of evil in this world. And there's a deep darkness that covers entire world and even our hearts. And we feel this impact of darkness, despite of what you believe about God, no matter what your religion is, we all feel this darkness. There's not, there's not a single religion in the world that doesn't say that this world is good. There's something wrong in this world. The Israelites who were living in those times understood a thing or two about the impact of darkness. Just to, to, to recap, because of their spiritual blindness, they have been disobedient to God, whoring after other gods. As a result, they have been conquered, exiled, homes have been destroyed. Their hope was gone. The nation was gone. They had nothing to hope for. But we don't need to be the Israelites to know that in 2021, we still feel the impact of darkness. In 2020, in Japan, there are more people die from suicide in one month than the entire COVID-related cases in one year. Still to this day, we've got four plus million people dying from COVID and we're still counting. Places like Zambia, places like Indonesia, they are dying left and right. Our last four years of constant civil political unrest that divided the country and friends, even churches and families, not to mention all the natural disasters, not to mention all the horrific evil in this world, children being sold into sex slavery. Every time we turn on news, there's, we, we, we were reminded there's something wrong in this world and there has to be a better way. That there has to be a better way. This is why Paul describes this darkness in 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from the seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There's something or someone in this world, world blindfolding us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we're causing more chaos and more evil in this world. But we don't need to turn on TVs to know that there's darkness around us, inside of us, right? If we're being honest this morning, there's some real darkness lives inside of us. Maybe me, but maybe you too. Every day, believers, 
we are fighting to know that we're actually loved by God, that we don't actually have to prove our worth and identity to others, that our worth comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, our beautiful Savior. But every moment that we, re- we react, when we receive some disrespect at work, every insecurity, every greed, every distrust, anger, impatience, lustful thoughts, every moment we're too proud and become self-reliant, Every moment that we don't attribute to beauty of Christ, we just enjoy the things of God, but not enjoy God. All these moments reveal that we don't actually believe what God says of us, but we care more of what others say of us. See, darkness is still impacting not just others, but our hearts too. And if this is true, and in your own experience in your life, you know this is true, if this thick cloud of witness is still surrounding us, and still in us, still blinding us that we can't see the beauty of Jesus Christ, then we need someone else. We need someone else to blow this cloud away so that we can finally see. We need someone else to take off our blindfolds to finally see once and for all that darkness will be no more and light has come. We need someone to deliver us from this world and wake us up from this darkness. And I want to introduce the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Verse 2 started out talking about darkness, but it did not end talking about darkness. Read with me one more time verse 2. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light. The kings to the brightness of your rising, lift up your eyes all around and see, and they're all gathered together, they come to you. Your sons shall come afar, your daughters shall be carried on the hip, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Darkness is temporary. Make no mistake, darkness is temporary. The one of the greatest words that we can hear in English dictionary is actually but. But the Lord has risen upon you. That God himself rise up and he will do it. And it goes on down to say in verse 7, which is my favorite verse in the entire chapter, I will beautify my beautiful house. In other words, God will do it. He himself will do it. This is a heart of the Christian message. That if you missed this this morning, we're missing everything about Christian faith. You and me cannot fix ourselves. In the world of self-autonomous culture where anyone can make up their own reality of truth, goodness, and beauty, we can only be beautiful by someone else, someone who is unaffected by this darkness. Think, think this with me. Think about this with me. Everything in this world, including ourselves, has been touched and affected by darkness around us. No matter how well we mask ourselves, we are broken, and we, we agree that. agree with that. And when we try to look for things in this world to fix ourselves, it cannot do the job because they're part of the darkness and we are part of the darkness. It's like two people drowning together and they're calling each other, save me and save me and save me, but they can't. They're drowning. They cannot save themselves. This is why we need someone else who can step into this world, who will not be affected by this darkness, who can shine his beauty on to us and beauty has a name his name is jesus y'all this is a good news that we have that have changed our hearts and our minds and this is the reason why we sit here the good news of jesus christ says that being full of light 
perfectly beautiful and glorious, left his heavenly privilege just so he can be with us, to live a perfect life that you and I could possibly not live for. And Jesus lived a sinless life, and he did not let this darkness affect him. He wasn't bitter, but he came to rescue us from this darkness. This is why Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is why Jesus has come, to deliver us the domain of darkness and transfer it to the kingdom of God. And when it's time to die on the cross, he went straight to the cross. He didn't look back. He went straight to the cross. And some of you are asking, why in the world Jesus had to die? Why in the world Jesus had to be crucified? Well, if you have children, or we've all been children before, Every disobedience, every rebellion has a consequence. If you grew up in a, in a Korean household, you know this. Every rebellion, every disobedience has a consequence. Every action produces reaction. Every moment that we turn away from God, every moment that we run to distorted view of sex, every moment that we run to distorted things of beauty and be okay with the beautiful things of this world, but not love the giver of our gifts, that we are creating further punishment, the wrath of God, that we're saying that God, your way is not enough for me. I'm just going to enjoy the things on this earth, but you don't matter to me. And the punishment of our disobedience is wrath and death. This is why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus said, they cannot do that, Father. They cannot pick themselves up. They cannot save themselves. They're still drowning. They're still in darkness. So let me go down, Father. Let me save them. So this is why Jesus took our sin and shame, went to the cross, and he was crucified. And on that cross, God the Father unleashed the wrath and punishment of humanity. And for a moment, darkness rejoiced because Jesus was actually dead. For a moment, darkness thought that she was victorious. For a moment, Jesus was dead. But we know the story of the risen power of Jesus Christ. But darkness has no power over Jesus. On that early day, early morning, the third day, Jesus has risen from his death, conquering sin and death, radiating his beautiful, perfect beauty onto the world. His resurrection, y'all, is a moment that I told you so moment. Is that I told you that I am God, that I told you that I am your Savior. And I told you, I am who I am. And all those who will come after me will receive this beautiful light. And not only that you will be beautiful, but you will be sons and daughters of God. This is a good message. This is the gospel day we have come here to listen. I am the Lord. In his time, I will hasten it. This is how Isaiah ends this chapter. I am the Lord. In his time, I will hasten it. God is not only beautiful, but he's also the beautifier. God will do it, and Jesus has done it. And this is good news. This is one of the reasons why our church plan is called Beautiful Church. Not because we are beautiful, but Jesus is the most beautiful person that ever existed on earth. And we want people to know how beautiful Jesus is. We want people to know that church of God, as imperfect you know, as messed up as we are, we are beautiful because Jesus has cleansed us with his blood. 
and to mission to tell others about Jesus. There's nothing more glorious and beautiful other than that mission. This is why our church plan is called Beautiful. But I came here to tell you that God is beautiful. God is beautiful, and he's also the beautifier. You know, as I was thinking about how to, to end this sermon and how to really think about illustrations to talk how this really impacts our day-to-day life, you know, I came across this art called Kintsuki. If you're an artist, some of you might know this. If not, that's okay, because I didn't know either. Um, it literally means joined with gold. It's a Japanese art of putting broken pieces back together with gold. It is a metaphor of embracing your flaws and imperfections, treating cracks and repairs as a part of the history, not as an object, or not something to hide. In fact, in this pottery, having been broken and shattered is far more beautiful because it can be made more beautiful with scars and damages on it. And when I saw that, that is a perfect picture how gospel works in our lives. Is it only when we get broken? Is after we run to the things of this world and we realize there's no life in them, there's no satisfaction in them, money, sex, power, popularity, fame. Once we realize that those things have no life in them, when we are broken to pieces and we call out, Jesus, help us, and only then Jesus mends us up, not with gold, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. That being broken is what we experience as believers of Jesus Christ. And I wish I can tell you that being broken is just one-time thing, that, that you don't experience hardships, that you don't experience emotional trauma. I wish I can tell you. I wish that this only happens once in my lifetime. But this happens every single day. This happens every single day. That my flesh needs to be destroyed. My flesh needs to be broken to pieces. And only when I get broken, only when I get shattered to pieces, that's when Jesus mends us, picks us up with the blood of Jesus Christ. Y'all, don't let your circumstances prevent you to worshiping God. Don't let other circumstances in your life, no matter how hardships you are going through, rejoice in your beautiful Savior. Rejoicing in God has nothing to do with your circumstances. Your hardships, your tears, your pain, your difficult experiences are there to break you because Jesus wants to make you more beautiful. Whatever is weighing you down, whatever is troubling you, Hold on to your living hope and rejoice. This is the only way. Jesus was shattered to pieces so that he can be our savior. Being broken is a daily process. And here's my one exhortation, encouragement to the church of the beloved. This week, would you run to your crucified savior? Don't even look back. Don't even look to sideways. Run to the arms of Jesus. When we say, Spend time with your beautiful Savior. When we say there, go read your Bible and pray, we're not just saying that it is true and good for you. We're also saying that it is beautiful for you. We're also saying that go experience your beautiful God. Go let your heart be thrilled and excited by God in the presence of God. And if you don't feel anything, that's okay. God is somehow beautifying you little by little into the image of His Son. You are being made into the image of His Son. Go experience your God this week. Go experience the beauty of God in this week. And there, 
those who are not necessarily believing the same thing that we believe, maybe those who are watching, maybe those who hear for the first time, those who not share our faith, I do want to say that everyone, we believe that anyone who's broken can be made beautiful by the blood of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is in the business of beautifying all things and all peoples. He's here to beautify us. He's here to beautify you. There's a Savior who actually knows you, your scars, your pain, your shame, and wants to transform you. Life will shatter you. If you have not experienced it by now, you will experience it soon. Circumstances have already shattered you. People have betrayed you. But through those broken moments, just maybe God is calling you to his presence so that he can make you more beautiful than ever before. Your brokenness, your scars, your shame are welcomed in the presence of God. So if that's who you are, you're mostly welcomed in all the churches of Jesus Christ. And definitely you're welcomed in the presence of our God. But most importantly, this is my final comment, and I'm off the stage. No matter where you, where you are in your life journey, where in your faith journey, it doesn't matter where you are, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. Make no mistake that he is coming back. And if he is coming back, one day we will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives, and we will gaze upon the beauty of God. Yo, we're going to see Jesus face to face. That will exceed our wildest imagination. Whatever experience that you hear on this earth, that beautiful experience that you love, that you go towards to music, glorious nature scenes, whatever, seeing Jesus face to face will exceed your wildest imagination. And for that reason, I can't wait. But until then, we groan, we fight, we fight to know that our God is beautiful. And we run to our Jesus. We run to our Savior exactly for that reason. Would you pray with me?